0: Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in. No, my haida and welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host Alison and I'm joined in the studio today by the prize winning author Amy McDade who has recently released her novel Fake Baby and it's published by Penguin Random House. Kia ora Amy and welcome to the show. Kia ora Alison, thank you so much for having me. It's so good to have you here. Now Amy, I just loved the book, so um, I can't wait to talk to you about it. Thank you. So Fake Baby is set in Auckland and um, it follows three characters who are in complete crisis uh, and it follows them over a, a period of nine days. Now, what I really noticed when I read it was that it's a book of contrasts. So you've got the, the light, the dark, the, the tragedy, the comedy, despair, hope. And even um, I was thinking about the baby Jonathan who is given to to Jan V, either by God or the universe, um, given and then taken away. I was wondering if this was a deliberate way of writing or if, this sort of light and dark is how you see the world? Wow, that's a really good question and I would have to say yes to
1: both, Alison. Oh, yes, right. it, it is very much how I see see life. I see life as this brilliant kaleidoscope of, of contrast with light and dark and even in our darkest moments sometimes there's that ability to, to smile or laugh and yes, it definitely was a deliberate way of writing. Admittedly, I, I can... I quite like uh, bleak books, but with Fake Baby, I wanted to inject something of the light into the dark because it is dealing with very serious topics. We have got uh, Janvi who's who's lost her baby, and then we've got Lucas who makes that terrible mistake that mm. results in the hospitalisation of his favourite customer, and then we've got a very distressed homeless man, Stephen. And that could have that sounds very serious. They're very heavy themes, but actually. The ability to to be able to inject some humor into it was what I was going for with with fake baby.
0: Mm, mm. Oh and you did it so well. And I mean um Shakespeare did um did similar things didn't he? So yes. yeah. So I guess it, um you're probably in a long line of A wonderful (laughs) writer. Yeah. Um, And um, when you were writing the the book, you you were actually working as a newborn intensive care nurse. And, um, of course, nurses are are famous for their dark humour. And uh, I've often wondered if that's a coping mechanism in nursing. Yeah,
1: I actually think it, it is a bit of a coping mechanism. I find dark humor really interesting, and it actually correlates with well, the appreciation of dark humor actually correlates with uh, high levels of empathy and high levels of intelligence. Interestingly enough, oh, you right. often think someone with a dark sense of humor might be quite disturbed, but actually, it often
0: comes from a place of empathy. That's really, really interesting, and I so I can sort of see where. That where nursing and and other medical professionals would would pick that up yes Um, and because I um imagine I can only imagine that the intensive care unit for newborns is a place of extremes too that you'd get um extreme joy and then so sadly extreme tragedy
1: yes
0: definitely yeah and um Would you say that your your nursing experience has contributed to your world view? Yes, I
1: I would actually. Now, interesting, when I first started nursing, I was actually quite, I came from a very conservative background. I was brought up in a very uh, Christian household and I guess my life was reasonably sheltered. I hadn't, there there had been uh, tragedies in our family but Mm. actually as far as my world view goes, it was probably quite small and then Suddenly being plunged into the hospital environment with all these people from very varied um, backgrounds, uh, really, it really did blow open my world. And I look back, and the patients that I remember the most are uh, the most unusual. Um, the, the the man who was addicted to water, for example, and oh, you could. Follow his trail down the corridor because there was puddles of water down down the corridor and that obviously put out of a whack his his electrolytes mm. or the little old lady who wore a bright purple dressing gown and a wig that didn't quite fit on top and and I, I guess it, it probably fed into my my love of of the unusual or the or the different and
0: uh, yeah so yeah oh and yeah because you'd be dealing with such a diverse range of of clients and and colleagues too religions ethnicities it all it all really did expand my world yeah and of course your writing is just so observant that's another thing that really struck me I just adored your descriptions of Auckland suburbs they were so funny and but really accurate and precise and um the descriptions of people's behaviors and and even their clothes like Janvi's mother's exercise clothes, yes. and um, <laughs> those women in the in the cafe in Ponsonby, um, which was sort of so funny, and yet that interaction was so terribly sad. um You're really quite wicked. I thought you're wickedly satirical <laughs> and and funny. Okay. But um, just, I'm sort of a bit stuck on your nursing at the moment. I will move off from it at some point. Yes, no. So. But um, a big part of nursing, or what I imagine, is is doing observations. Um, yes. So do you think nursing has made you more observant, or were you always kind of an observant kid and an observant person?
1: Oh, that's... That's
0: an interesting question. Yeah,
1: I think I I have always been quite observant. I I am a bit of a daydreamer, but definitely I like to think that it balances with the observant side. So say if I was to go to a cafe, I would want to sit there and read my book, but inevitably I would always end up watching people, Mm. um, listening into conversations, Mm. seeing what gestures people are making as they walk past. But nursing is very much about observing uh, and it's, it's also on two layers there's just the visual observations it's literally just for a, for a niku just looking at a baby and you can tell so much by just that first five second look um, how mm. they're moving their colour are they crying th- their tone there's so much you can tell from just a look and then obviously you go a bit deeper and you take those observations like the blood pressures and the heart rate but yeah, it definitely, definitely f- fed into that. I can walk down the street and notice someone. I th- m- make a little clinical judgment on what mm. they might have going on physically, and that mm. I guess that's added in that layer. But otherwise, yes, I've always been a people watcher.
0: Mm, mm. Oh, it's just a perfect background for your writing. Mm. Now, if it's okay, I'm just going to ask one more nursing-related <laughs> <yes, laughs> question, then I'll move on. So, at the time. Um, you, you were writing the book, you were working, as we said, in in the NICU, um, and you were parenting as well. So you're writing, you're parenting, you're, you're nursing. How did you find the energy to write such an emotional book? Well, I think it really came
1: down to, to what I was prioritizing in my life at the time. And my sacrifices have generally always been financial. I really value work-life balance. And so I very much prioritised my time with uh, my daughter and my time writing. And admittedly, I was nursing less while I was writing Fake Baby. But it was that drive to write that I just can't let go of. It's it's just this impetus inside me that I have to keep on going. And Fake Baby, Janvi's storyline in particular, it was very much about, uh, it was about obviously her, her baby who has died and in niku we see babies who have passed away mm-hmm. we work with with parents very closely but when they walk out that those double doors they we don't see them again we don't see mm-hmm. them again for a long time and we spend a lot of time wondering what happened to them mm. did they uh, did they go on to have another baby and uh, did they did they get the support they needed in order to heal and I guess fake baby was a way of me exploring that question and so I guess I never found it energy draining in that sense because it was very much that drive and if anything it was it invigorated me in a way
0: mm-hmm. oh that makes a lot of sense thanks for explaining that now I was going to ask you um about the The characters in the book and the time period of the book so basically Fake Baby follows the three main characters um, and follows them over a period of nine days and I've kind of been wondering why you set the story over nine days because I noticed that baby Jonathan survived in the NICU for nine days after his birth and that was so his parents could come to terms with the tragedy Uh, so I was wondering if is this the reason why the latest story takes place over nine days? Or, um, alternatively, is there kind of a, a rule in, in writing that you need about nine days to, to, to tell a good story? Oh, you notice the nine
1: days mirror. It was quite an intentional thing and... I just, I just liked the idea of it. There's certainly no rules in in writing. Rules are are made to be broken. Yeah. I I think I chose nine days because I just liked the compressed space of time in order to explore those minutiae of of the characters' lives. It was really quite a, a compressed space. I was quite aware of it and. Oh uh, yeah i did I did like the mirror because a lot can happen in nine days people's lives can completely change yeah. so quickly and yes that's mirrored in the fact that Janvi's son was only alive for nine days and mm. then she had nine days in order to process with this doll that she
0: steals mm, mm. and um I did notice uh, when she was in the the Ponsonby cafe and those other sort of yummy mummies asked her how <laughs> olds your baby and she said nine days and that really yeah. that made me so sad that almost it brought a tear to my eye that um he, so the, the baby was always going to be nine days old
1: yes for forever her. nine days yeah and it is like that when you lose someone you lose them at a certain age and they're forever that age forever in your yeah. memory Yeah, actually that's that's
0: really true isn't it yeah. yeah there's you know the story it's so beautifully and and tenderly told. Um, it, yeah, it's really, really something. But I was wondering if uh, storytelling was part of your family experience when you were growing up. Well funnily enough I would say no
1: to that. Now we all mm. are readers and I was constantly supplied with books. and uh, We did lots of library visits. would bring home stacks. Oh, my God. But yes. we were not, I, I wouldn't say my family are naturally storytellers. We joke and we quip and we we have each other on and we tease each other. But we don't really tell or recount large stories. Uh, I would get some from my grandmother in the few years before she died. She was Rarotongan and she would tell me these amazing stories about about her childhood But that was actually something that I didn't get
0: from her until I was much older. Mm. And did you find that you had to ask her to to tell you those stories? Yes and no.
1: Sometimes she would just start to volunteer them. We'd be sitting Mm. down with a cup of tea and then she'd start telling me about the time that she was swimming naked in the lagoon Mm -hmm. and her mum came rushing after her (laughs) to whip her with a a branch (laughs) and all the time she was made to climb up the coconut tree in the typhoon because she'd shown her underwear she was was a sound she sounded like she was very naughty but she sounds like her mother was was quite the piece of work as
0: well she sounds (laughs) amazing yes and and how precious to get those stories from her too yes yeah oh that's that's really lovely so she must have been um an influence on your life um so I was wondering if if there were other role models um in your life so I'm thinking oh I always hope librarians of course (laughs) or teachers or or mentors
1: well interestingly not so much so I and I wish I could recount a long line of, of people that encouraged me with my writing but I mean, my, I was one of five children and I would write these little stories when I was little and I would take them to my mum and she would she would praise me effusively. But I, the one person I, that stands out for me is a teacher uh, and I was seven or eight years old and his name was Mr Smallfield at Te Primary mm. and he would always read my stories to class and he told me I would be a writer one day oh. and I've never forgotten that. And right through my schooling, I... I have to admit I got no further encouragement I remember submitting mm-hmm. a short story for a competition in high school and I think perhaps I was a little bit dark and troubled at the time mm-hmm. I'm not sure but I never forget the, the look on the teacher's face as she handed it back to me I think it was it must have been quite morbid and so yeah I, I, and she she gave me no feedback and so it was really something that I hung on to, those, that one line from Mr. Smallfield right from when I was seven or eight years old.
0: Wow, yeah. Well, it would be wonderful if he could see where you were now. Well, actually, could... he did.
1: Oh, so, wow. So I actually uh, put something up on the Titarangi Facebook page uh, when Fake Baby came out asking if anyone... Knew him or knew where he was, and I actually ended up making contact with oh, him. Oh, how
0: fabulous! Yeah,
1: and I sent him a message, and I said, "Oh, thank you so much. You you realize that you had a really big impact. You you planted that. It sounds like a cliche that seed, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But and and I always wonder, you know. If he hadn't said that, would have that seed been there? I mean, I've always loved books and writing, and but it it really did did stay with me, and so yeah, I thanked him and I actually sent him a copy of, of Faked, Babe, oh, Faked is, Baby, and he read it and he and he loved it, and he sent me a message back.
0: And yes, oh, that's wonderful. That would be so rewarding for him to you know to see um, what you know what is a, a small gesture on his part. You know, was such a huge influence on your life. Yeah, so, it was. Yeah. yeah, and well done you for for contacting him that's yeah thank you yeah good oh on no you. my
1: pleasure I was, oh yeah it was it was nice so nice to be able to get in touch with him yes and yeah. he's it sounds like he is quite an quite an avid reader and i wouldn't have known that as a seven mm. or eight year old but uh, he loves literature yeah oh fantastic well done mr small mr smallfield mr smallfield Dungy, from premier i believe he's still teaching oh. he's here somewhere on the north shore i believe yeah mm. oh that's great and what was your
0: favorite book when you were a kid
1: Now, I don't know if I had a specific favourite book, but I have to say one thing about having a young child is that you get to re-explore all those books that you loved as a child. And I think the earliest one that I remember and that I've read to Eleanor since she was small is uh, Are You My Mother? Oh, yes. The little bird that's uh, looking for his mother. Um, But beyond that... uh, I didn't have a specific. I don't have a specific favorite, but I really. I think it was the Christian influence. I really enjoyed C.S. Lewis books,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then I started to read Judy Blume. Oh yes, <laughs> but uh, she got banned from the household after my brother picked it up and and read something. And I guess uh, female teenage adolescence was not something that was necessarily. Um, it was not something that I guess that my my. Um, family were so open to or mm. open to exploring mm. with a very conservative background and and some of the topics that uh, Judy Bloom deals with and her in her young characters so so yes she was banned from the house <laughs> <laughs> which
0: probably meant that you made extra efforts to um to get hold of her books. Yes. book <laughs> yeah um, cuz she was so groundbreaking really wasn't she because she-, she touched on on topics that previously hadn't been discussed and yes yeah. she did yeah. So, well, I hope in the meantime you you have managed to read everything she said. Oh, <laughs> I actually,
1: you're quite, I need to come back to her. actually. I should I should pick those books back up again.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It's kind of really funny too. But yeah, yeah. I love them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. And um, now you um, gained your master's degree in creative writing at Auckland Uni in 2017 I believe and now I imagine that must have been an amazing time and I'm sort of um, thinking that you would have found a a real sense of community amongst your fellow writers Um, and um, what what benefits do you think um, a, a community of writers brings to, to your own life and to your writing, to your practice? Well, it's
1: everything, really. I, I, I found my crew when I found my writing oh, friends. Mm. Uh, I, I guess I never felt like I quite fitted in other parts of of my life with it and, and I love my nursing colleagues and I I loved school but I never felt like I quite fitted. I always felt like a little bit on the outside and then I did the 2017 masters and it was a fantastic year it was it was probably the best year of study I've done in my life and and yeah I found a great group of Auckland writers that I've connected with and we've we keep in touch we still meet up really frequently chat to them every some of them I chat to every week and the value is in, well, writing is a solitary um, mm. solitary process, but actually having someone else who's going through that same solitary process that you can bounce ideas off or that you can just moan to and then taking it that bit further, actually sharing your work with. So we actually read each other's manuscripts and we feedback and there's, that is just the most valuable thing for, for a writer.
0: Yeah, that, and because I'm just sort of getting a sense of that, contrast which you know almost like the light and and the dark again so the the solitary nature of writing but then also the community of of writers so and how they can complement each other yes and um i guess because there's a bit of a writer's circuit isn't there there's been a few literary small festivals that have been going on and um Mm. it must be great to sort of travel to the same places together and and get to hang out and
1: yeah well I, unfortunately because of COVID I, I wasn't able to do that so much this year so um so but fake baby was originally due out in April mm. and then it, because we were right in the middle of the before yeah. lockdown that was postponed till June but the period where most of the appearances happen for a book release are in that following month and we were still we we're still I think. We're on that cusp of that level two, level one lockdown. So a lot of the festivals took place through Zoom. So Auckland Writers oh, yes. Festival, oh yes, and a podcast I did uh, with Nikki Pellegrino was through Zoom. So didn't get quite that same chance to travel. I was supposed to go to Vancouver for the for oh, the Writers yes. Festival, and that, and that would have been a great opportunity to connect with. Some uh, some New Zealand writers I was travelling with and writers over there, but yes. such as life. Oh, <laughs> worst things. Yeah,
0: and uh, let's hope for better for for twenty twenty one for the the writers festival. Yes, yes, yeah. Exactly. It's it's been just unprecedented, hasn't it? Who who would have predicted we'd have the year that, that we know? Yeah. Um, now um, you're ve- you're still very very busy with your writing and you know working and parenting and plus 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 um, yes. do you have much time to, to just read for the for sake of reading in, in your present day life
1: yes I always make time to read I think it's about one of the most important things that a writer can do so I, I admittedly over the last year I've been I have been busier and so I'm probably only getting through a book once every week or two but I am I am reading at the moment. I am working through Otessa Moshfegh's uh, collection of short stories. Oh right, uh, home. No, I'm going to make again to get the title wrong. Home, homesickness. Home, homesickness for another world. No, that's not quite right. Anyway. Uh, it's it's a brilliant co- collection of short stories, and I'm alternating that with a, a summer by Ali Smith.
0: Oh, how fabulous! Yeah, so both two both wonderful writers. Yes, yeah, incredible. it's funny. I'm just um, been reading Otessa Moshe's work as well. I haven't started the short stories yet, oh, but she's she's fascinating, isn't she? Oh, I'm just checked out the the crime one, and it, oh, yeah, the Eileen. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 um, and yeah, she's fascinating, and in a way, I can see a um, similarity with with your writing. Oh, that's and a yes. huge compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Wow, that's the yeah.
1: compliment of the. No, I, I, I admire her a lot, and she plays with dark and light very yes. well. So, the, 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 her characters can be be quite, I guess, to to, to use a find a better word A gross I mean they mm. they can be quite extreme but they're extremely honest they yes. are very very real and I, I quite admire a, a good um, a, unlikable I don't like to use that term so much because I, I end up loving these characters but for mm. a lot of people they are in some sense unlikable because of the things that they do and how they say and act yeah but and they're so
0: complex aren't they very complex yeah yes. but I sort of suspect that Otessa perhaps doesn't like people that much doesn't like humans and uh-huh. I think actually Lionel Friver has said that she's a bit like that too but oh. I'm I'm not um saying that about you I'm not thinking that's the the similarity <laughs> <laughs> there was something else oh, about that curious that yeah. light and dark yeah. yeah oh well you're in in good company <laughs> um so Amy if you were talking to um an aspiring writer uh, what advice would you give them Well, and do you
1: have, how long do you have? (laughs) Uh, I think, I think to come back to what we were just talking about read, read, read mm-hmm. um, and a lot of uh, writers think to start out with short stories is, is the way to go but they're not actually reading short stories so I definitely advise if you're starting out with short stories go and read The Masters, go and read George Saunders a Tessa Moshfigg like we were just talking about uh, there's a lot of New Zealand writers producing mm-hmm. some fantastic uh, short stories, we've got Black Marks on, on the white page as a was a collection that came out uh was it two years ago that's got some great stories in there but also edit 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 like just Mm -hmm. really really don't be afraid of really delving deep into the words that you've got in front of you on the page and just rewriting and I guess the other thing is when you're ready show other people right and but people that you trust and show more than one person because if you show one and they say you're brilliant, then you feel like you're sorted. And if mm. you, they say you're terrible, then your self-esteem is ruined. Yeah. <laughs> but if you show several people, then you can get quite a balanced view of what may or may not be working with your writing.
0: Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because it must make you feel really vulnerable to show someone you're writing because you've essentially just sort of opened your your heart and soul out haven't you?
1: Extremely. The first time I showed any of my writing was in the master's class and I had written lots of short stories and poems for a good 10 years apart from what I had to submit for for school I kept all my personal writing entirely to myself Mm so doing those first workshops in the master's was really really hard and you do feel extremely vulnerable because it's a piece of yourself that you're putting out there on
0: the page. Yeah, and um, so that's why it must be so precious that that you found your your co- colleagues or those in, in your class so supportive. Yes, that's yes. really really cool, isn't it? And you know, I'm just thinking back to those, you know, the teachers that handed stuff back to you with you know it was stern no, faces stern cases, you know they could take, learn something from
1: this couldn't they and yeah possibly and I mean I, I, I probably don't blame them I'm sure if I was to look back at what I wrote <laughs> I would be
0: horrified myself yeah oh goodness yeah and um do you find when you're writing that um sometimes you make false start um so you might start writing something and then you think oh I've got throw my typewriter out the window you know like a classic movie scene where someone does that I think or you know um
1: definitely so I actually before I started fake baby I had worked on a piece of writing for a good six months and that was something that I submitted in order to get into the master of creative writing and with the first workshop and that's that moment you're feeling most vulnerable Mm. and I felt very I thought it was okay I felt very proud of it and um Paula Morris, a very honest, very brilliant writer, she said to me, Amy, what are you doing? This is not working. Oh, wow. And she actually challenged me to write the action from a different viewpoint character. And when I really got inside that character's head, the story fell apart. And Mm. so I actually put six months of work in the trash and started over, and it was the best decision
0: I made because then I got Fake Baby. Wow. Yeah, so, um, gosh, what a a huge learning curve that you that's a cliche isn't it but to yes. get that brilliant advice from from Paul morris yes it um, made all the difference yes but um good on you for for, for taking the advice too yes. and then but then to you know to have fake baby as a result i i guess you look back and it was worth it yes definitely yeah Yeah, i found my
1: voice with with fake baby even even though i still at times want to snatch it back and write that 10th
0: draft i will leave it be now it's it's out in the world and i must let go (laughs) yeah well look it's um the the book is hugely popular in libraries there's queues of people waiting for it fantastic and, and i'm really hoping that um Listeners might consider buying a copy from their local independent bookshop, and because um, it w- makes it, it's a wonderful copy to have in your home library or, or as a gift for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you're writing. Um, just we haven't got much time left, but you are writing something at the moment. I I gather. Yes, So I've just been at the, the Michael King Writer Centre. I
1: have an emerging, emerging writers uh, residency out there in Devonport for these two weeks. And so I've started my second novel and oh, fabulous. yeah it's a dark dark funny novel again. just following a single character this time I'm looking forward to just being inside one person's head. I, I found the the three characters with fake baby it did, did add, add a layer of, of complexity so just inside one one person's head but I won't won't say too much um, but yeah, she's wonderful. pretty cool. Her name's Karis and uh, I've been spending a bit of time talking, getting to know her over the last few
0: months and now I'm finally writing her story. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to, to reading about Karis. And um, thank you for um, being here today, Amy. Thanks to our listeners. Um, take care and be kind to yourselves. Haide ra kakite ano.